Hello, everybody. Welcome to webinar today in our Governance Insight Series. It's going to be a fantastic webinar today, and I actually can't wait to talk to these amazing ladies today. Today, our webinar is all about cybersecurity. It's all about security from the board. And I cannot wait. I've got special guests today, and they have just written their own book, co-authored their own book called The Secure Board. Anna, a big welcome to you, and Claire, a big welcome to you. Now, everybody, I'm going to ask Claire and Anna some questions today, and we've also got some questions from yourselves, but you are very welcome to put questions up on our questionnaire area today, and we'll be taking those questions at the end of today. So let's get started. So Anna, a big welcome to you, and tell us a little bit about your background and what has led you to do this extraordinary thing. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks for inviting Claire and I along today. It's great to be here and thanks to everyone that's joined. Uh, so I actually taught myself how to code when I was eight years old. So I like to say that IT chose me as a career rather than the other way around. And when I was still finishing year 12, I actually started my own IT business around learning. So back then, that was when the internet was new and Microsoft Office was new. So email. And I set up a business around educating families and businesses in how to use those new tools. And I've then embarked on a corporate career, which has uh, always worked in IT, but cross industry. And I've done different roles, like large delivery roles, general management roles, management consulting. I actually did a business development and sales role for two and a half years as well. Uh, and also have just finished up on the executive at Unisuper, where I had accountability for really more of a contemporary COO role with responsibility for technology projects and all of the member administration. So I really loved being able to couple my passion for, I suppose, business outcomes through technology for the members of Unisuper. I'm also a member of the Ambulance Victoria board. And Claire and I have known each other for a really long time. We met at Telstra and we continue to have conversations around, I suppose, how daunting cyber can be for people that don't have a technology background. And we've both built our careers on being able to explain, I suppose, business risks and outcomes of very technical topics. And so we, we wrote the book last year and we're very pleased to have launched the Secure Board in March. Absolutely wonderful. Congratulations. And what an exciting background you have. And Claire, a big welcome to you. And tell us a little bit about your background. Thanks, Fee. So, and thank you everybody for joining the webinar today. As Anna mentioned, we've just recently written a book. And for me, it's my second publication. So I wrote a book a couple of years ago about cybersecurity and, and cyber leadership. I've been in security my whole career since university, really. I, I did a Bachelor of Police Studies. I've worked in corporate security, fraud, cybersecurity, and across the, the whole span of my career, I have had this curiosity around protecting organisations and protecting customers, particularly customer trust. I've running, been running my own business for five years, working in cybersecurity consulting, and Anna and I saw this as a really good time, both in our own careers, but also in the broader community to share this book around cybersecurity for boards, because it really has come to the point where it's at the top of the organisation that we need to start focusing on cyber. And yeah, so we're really excited to talk to you today and, and to share some of our learnings, but also to answer some questions of the participants today. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, Claire, and a big welcome. So let's get started. I've got quite a lot of good questions here for you both. 
In fact, I'm really looking forward to hearing the answers myself. So first of all, the Australian Cybersecurity Centre has actually received report that there were, or there was, cyber events every 10 minutes across the financial year of 19 to 20. That's an incredibly concerning number. But here we are heading towards the end of 2021 financial year. So, Claire, what are the trends? What, what's happening now? Are they better, worse? What's going on? Well, I think the trend, excuse me, I think the trends we're seeing, Fee, is there's a few things happening. So last year in August, the Australian government released the um, cybersecurity strategy and really started to look at how they could help organisations in Australia protect themselves better. Scott Morrison came out last June and said, as a nation, we are suffering from cyber attacks and really started to get the conversation going. Lots of boards I spoke to at the time were really concerned, okay, the Prime Minister's out there talking now, we really need to sit up and take notice of this. The strategy came out, as I said, in August. There's a lot in that and it's a lot to take in, but a particular part of that was that they have opened a door to looking at the responsibilities of cybersecurity on directors. There's a new piece of legislation going through at the moment that talks about critical infrastructure and cybersecurity. And that breaks away from just critical infrastructure being telecommunications or water boards. It's now looking at 11 different industries. It includes universities. It includes financial organisations. They're seeing that as critical infrastructure. And the budget came out last week. They've given more than $40 million to help critical infrastructure to protect from cyber and to respond to cybersecurity incidents. And for me, the government giving that money, giving that voice to cyber is a a trend that I think is good from a holistic perspective. But one of the other trends we're seeing is there's so much more press and media about cybersecurity. So as you mentioned, the Cybersecurity Centre, they were getting a report every 10 minutes. But as members of the public, we would never have known that. But now you can't open the the newspaper today without seeing an article about cybersecurity, about the concerns businesses have. You know, if you were online a couple of months ago, Channel 9 couldn't go live to air. The AFR couldn't print. You know, it's it's really starting to not just be a technical problem that sits in organisations. It's starting to be something that's impacting the way that we live our lives and we do business. Another really important one for us to think about is that cyber across the world, the trend of that starting to impact us here in Australia is quite concerning. Last week, or might have been the week before, there was the US pipeline cyber attack Petrol across the the seaboard could not be accessed. But what we probably weren't aware of is that there are superannuation companies here in Australia that have a 16% stake in that gas pipeline. So the fact that they couldn't get petrol out, they couldn't sell petrol, that hits us here and it hits our customers in their hip pocket because there are 26 super companies that as a group have a big percentage stake in that gas pipeline in the US. So we can't just be looking on our own shores and, and looking to our own cybersecurity centre for statistics. We need to remember that globally, the, those events that happen across the world, they can hit us here in Australia with, without a doubt. And I guess just looking at the pandemic as well, just to wrap up, the there was a, a study done recently with security leaders and the, the great concerns that they're still having around the fact that we are mostly remote and that we've now opened up to our security perimeter being people's homes, people's kitchen tables, that 
about 50% of security leaders have a great concern around the fact that we are still so remote and we're not bringing people back into offices where we're in a much more secure location. So there's some of the trends that we're seeing, much greater involvement from the media in cyber and so many more incidents occurring that we have to be concerned about both here and, and also abroad. Thanks, Claire. That's actually a fascinating one about that remoteness of people working from home. Like we've all been celebrating that. But to be honest, I hadn't ever thought of the risk. There's yeah. lots of other risks. I hadn't thought of that as much. Yeah. That's absolutely fascinating. So it's very much watch this space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Gosh, thank you. That's really interesting. So, Anna, to you, a really good question for you is, Directors actually know how to oversee risk. So this is a question about directors now. They they know how to do that today and an awful lot of training and effort has gone into that. But cyber risk management and all the jargon that surrounds it is actually, and its implications, it's really something that directors don't know a lot about. So we'd love your advice. What What is your advice for directors about this? Because it's a the new big part of their risk management, isn't it? It really is, Fee, and I I think we are seeing a shift more around um, new and emerging risks. Cyber is one really good example, but so is climate change. And I think that with cyber in particular, it's the the jargon around cyber. It's acronyms, which all technologists love, but it's also the the implications of a breach that I think all contribute to it being quite a daunting topic. Um, and a good example of the implications, it can spread from re- regulatory, financial and reputation. So it's far broader than just an IT problem. And so the book's really centred on us, I suppose, reminding board directors that they already have 70% of the skills to oversee risk management. Those skills are transferable to cyber. I observe that in my board meetings, Claire sees that with her clients. So the board's really been, the book's really been written to cover off the 30%. So we've taken the topics around cyber that we believe board directors and executives and leadership teams need to be aware of to really be able to understand and have confidence in overseeing cybersecurity. So the book is broken down into five elements. The first one is that you do need to have a dedicated cyber leader. We believe it's really imperative that someone within the organisation has sole accountability for that and that their time and focus and their background and expertise is dedicated to really thinking about, I suppose, what the organisation needs to be doing around cyber, both from a strategy perspective, engagement across all organisations in terms of employees and other partners that they work with. Another, I suppose, key topic, and Claire's touched on it today, and it's been the shift that we've been pleased to see over the past five to 10 years, and that's really around cyber no longer being seen as an IT problem or a problem that IT can solve on their own. And it now is gaining an understanding that it is actually an enterprise risk. Claire's already touched on some of uh, the risks uh, that are more enterprise-wide rather than just IT. It is, uh, it might not come out in the media, but a lot of the breaches are actually where we have an employee uh, working within the organisation that receives a phishing email and they actually click on that. 
And so you need to think that an IT yeah. professional, a security leader can put all of the tools in place, the monitoring in place and do a really great job. But we all need to be aware of the systems that we have access to because we, we describe that as trusted access to very critical systems and information. And then being more mindful of the emails that we actually receive and checking that they look legitimate. And then if they don't, calling those out as well. Another really good example is the people that you partner with. We, we term that as third parties. So whether that's vendors or partners, that you use for a project or to actually help run the operations of your business. And then you need to think more broadly around who they partner with. They actually get access to your very sensitive information as part of partnering with you. And I can tell you that if there was a breach tomorrow within your organisation, it wouldn't be your partner that was in the media. It would actually be you. So I think that's really one that really needs to be uh, front of mind for everyone. Another one for us is really making risk-based decisions around investment relating to cyber. A lot of uh, questions that we receive, and I suppose concerns, is really around what's the right um, amount of money to spend on cyber, what's the right size of the team, and ultimately it does differ for every business. And so for us, we really focus on what the business outcome is going to be, and we really link that back to both the existing risk profile, the regulatory requirements within your sector, and also your risk appetite statement. And that's where we think the risk appetite statement is a really um, worthy of a robust and detailed conversation uh, between management and the board to make sure it's fully understood around the implications of where that risk appetite actually lands. The next one is really making sure that your cybersecurity strategy is uh, anchored to your business objectives. No longer should you see a cybersecurity strategy that's all about technology. We should actually also see different pillars of that strategy focused on helping achieve the business objectives, whether that's growth, customer retention, acquisitions, and it all should also focus on engaging with those employees across the business as we talked about earlier. And the final element in the book is actually focused on having the right set of metrics and measures. We think it's really important and sometimes board directors might think it might be a little bit operational, but being able to see what's actually happening in your business through a set of metrics and measures is really important around a board member and management gaining confidence in how safe the organisation is. But also as you implement the cyber strategy, you should see a shift in your metrics so if you're doing implementing new tools, policies and processes to help keep your organisation safe, you should see that correlate through to the metrics that you're being reported to um, at a board or a CEO level. And that's incredible. And sort of a follow on from that is somebody's already asked, what, what are the measures that I'm just throwing this one in here because it kind of is on the back of what you've just been talking about. Someone just said, what are the measures, you know, what mm. what? What are those things that directors should be actually saying, what's what's happening with this? Yeah, terrific. So there is a whole chapter of our book that focuses Fantastic. on the metrics and the measures. And as I mentioned earlier, it does actually depend on your organisation. Um, and mm -hmm. if you're working in financial services with um, APRA as your regulator, there'll be certain metrics that I'd be looking for in an organisation in that space. Uh, you also want to know how many threats your business has experienced how many they've blocked. If you do have an event, you want to know how the business has responded to that. And a really important measure for me is understanding, I suppose, how your business, the employees are responding to those phishing exercises. And what we like to see is that the phishing exercises get more mature. So it doesn't always mean that the metrics actually improve. We should actually get better and more mature in the phishing attacks. And a really good example of one is having a trusted partner. So if you're working at, I'm trying to think maybe at a hospital and you had your 
leasing company with your employee benefits or your health insurer actually sends you an email to your work email address. These are trusted brands. So it's really useful to see how employees respond to those rather than emails that do look a little bit less legitimate. I'm not sure if Claire wants to add any there. Yeah, I would add something um, to that. And I think what Anna's covered is is really important. And, and we we were very conscious in the book not to put a list of, you know, here are all the metrics mm. that your organisation should have because, as Anna mentioned, it is, it's bespoke. It really depends on how your organisation is managing cyber. What I'd add to that, though, is that having a context around those metrics because numbers on a page around operations or around, you know, this has gone this high or this has come down or, you know, really understanding as a director you're being presented with a bunch of figures, but what's the context and what does that actually mean for the director at the at that given time? So, you know, if you're if you're getting metrics, really knowing what you're being told and so that it's not just data, but you're actually getting information. That that's a really key piece, I think, to metrics is understanding the value of the information you're being presented with. No, I think that's that is really, that's really, really helpful. Also, just back to you, Anna, just very quickly, I love that notion of discuss this in your risk appetite mm. because boards are never endingly talking about risk appetite. In fact, that's one of the areas that we're always finding in evaluation that they're like, we need to refresh, revise, improve our risk appetite. And that's a big helpful thing if this is one of the things they should talk about in it. That's a great tip. Thank you. That's terrific. Now, Claire, the pace at which cyber events are increasing and the sophistication of these hacks has the attention of chief executives and boards. It really does. This is sort of a follow-on from what you were talking about before. So what do you think are the three things that directors need to be aware of in relation to this? Because these are big events now, aren't they? They're really almost kind of scarily big now. Yeah, I think um, someone said to me the other day that that they see cybersecurity as a tidal wave that's coming, and I thought, gosh, that sounds incredibly dramatic. But <laughs> but in many ways, it, it is building in its um, importance, I think, in the minds of directors and executives. And I think one of the key things, and we talk about this in the book quite a bit, is building our relationship, building relationships, and and in a number of different ways. One is that that cybersecurity leader that we've talked about a few times already today not meeting them in the face of a crisis. So having a relationship with that person where you've met them on a number of occasions, you understand the way they operate, you know that they've got all the mechanisms in place if you did have an incident to be resilient. If if that CISO or security leader or whoever's responsible for security walks into a board meeting in the face of a crisis, there's no relationship there, there's no trust, there's a really big hurdle to get over while your organisation's on fire. You know, that, that relationship is so important and, and you know, many people would look at cyber and think, oh, surely I need to know something far more technical than that. But actually it's, it's building trust in that person who yeah. is flying the flag for the organisation. The second thing I would say is, is coming back to something I mentioned earlier and that is around third parties. So the um, Toyota came out in the press this week and they were talking about rebuilding from their cyber attack, which, which happened recently, earlier last year, I think, and... They had been using third parties to help them with their IT infrastructure and those third parties had not done what was needed in order to structure their their technology the way that it should have been done. And so rebuilding 
for Toyota took months and months and months. And, and you know, they were, they were reduced to pen and paper for a long period of time because they didn't have those third-party relationships that they needed. And so while that was something that never hit the press at the time, part of them rebuilding from their cyber attack was just because the partners they were using didn't give them the support that they needed. And this is public domain knowledge. I'm not telling any secrets. But, but even down to thinking about who is servicing your organisation and are they giving you what you need, you never think in the face of a cyber incident that that's something that you're going to come back to. Anna mentioned earlier, APRA, they're, they're very heavy on third parties at the moment and understanding who you're doing business with and making sure that your information security values align with those other businesses that you're mm. connecting to. And in the, in I guess in line with that, if one of your third parties does have a breach, thinking about, well, do I really want to reconnect to that, that organisation after they've had a breach? And I know for a director, what I'm talking about might seem quite operational, but these are all decisions that we have to make in the face of a crisis. And that could get to board level. It could be a, a partner that you operate with that without them, you can't do business. And so do we want to reconnect in the face of a ransomware attack, for example? Is their organisation clean? Do we know that? You know, Are we going to be at risk if we go back to how things were before? So I think, you know, having a leader, having a relationship with them and then mm -hmm. as a board, knowing who you're doing business with are some of the key things that you need to focus on from a cybersecurity perspective. Incredible. Really good advice. Fantastic. Thank you. So, Anna, back to you. You have mentioned the necessity of having this dedicated security leader and, as Claire has just said, and I agree, you don't want to meet them for the first time when they're running through the door with a big bad notice for you all. <laughs> that would be terrible. Or a big bottle of brandy, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. But I, I'm really interested, you know, how often should they be on our board agenda? How often should we meet with this person? Mm. I think it, it, it's really wise advice. So... But how often do you do that? Because there's a lot of other risks that haven't happened yet and we've got to think about them as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and Claire, and, Claire yeah. and I get asked this question a lot. So I do believe that it depends on the organisation. It depends on the current risk profile. So mm. if I was working within an organisation and there was a, a cyber risk that had a rating of a high or extreme, I'd be wanting to see that on the board agenda you know, every month or every two months at a minimum. But, you know, if it was sitting at a, I suppose, a risk within appetite, and that's back to that risk appetite statement fee, then yeah. I think as a board, Claire and I would expect at a minimum it's twice a year. And if you have a strategy day, I think it's highly advisable to have cyber mm -hmm. on the agenda for your strategy day as well. But as we've uh, talked about previously with you, Fee, it's not just about time on the, the agenda and getting a status update. It's actually having a really good discussion around cyber across the organisation. Another thing that we like to do is really as a board director look to see whether cyber is mentioned as part of the CEO report. We think that's a really good opportunity to, to demonstrate or reflect that it's understood that cyber is actually an enterprise risk and not an IT problem. So you shouldn't always be hearing about cyber from your CIO or your security leader, but you should also be hearing about cyber from um, internal audit. So it doesn't always need to be on the board agenda with the presenter and the person preparing the board papers being someone who works within IT. Absolutely fantastic. I think this is such, it sounds, as I'm listening to it, this is really sensible, simple advice. And I really agree with your comment before, Anna. We actually do this 
process for a lot of other things. You just need to do the same for cyber. Yeah. And I love that notion of I'm thinking of a cyber attack that we know in this area around Geelong about, you know, a couple of years ago. And people were right down to carrying notes between areas of the organisation. So it's probably not a bad idea to include staff as well at some point in time because they wouldn't even think that that might be an outcome. It's such, it was it's quite a surprise to people. Definitely, like that actually happens. One of the one of the first courses of action that a, a business usually takes is to shut systems down until they know the actual extent yes, of the breach. That, so yes. often they know something's not right, mm. but they don't actually know what the root cause is, and they need to do some investigation. And if you, it actually takes me back to when we did Y two K. And we had to prepare for, yes. shut, for all of our systems not working. In a way, with a cyber breach, you need to be ready or prepared to be able to work without the systems that you have access to today. And, and, and most businesses go back to your pen and paper just while they, they do that they investigation really do. phase. Mm. And think about most people at uni now have never experienced a time that there was no computer. They don't know so, life without an iPhone fee. <laughs> I know, I know, and and it's kind of really interesting. It's going to be a real challenge. So, and the only difference with um, YK2 is that that didn't actually happen. This does actually happen. Correct. (laughs) This is not just an idle build-up. It really does actually happen. Yeah. So, Claire, back to you. Do you have any advice for how to stay informed about these emerging risks? Yeah, I've got a couple of pieces of advice that I think some are specific and some, I guess, are a bit more generic. So specifically, back to Anna's point, the best way to learn about cyber risks for sort of within your realm of control is to speak to people in your organisation. So don't wait for a board meeting to happen. Seek out, you know, out of board meeting conversations with your security leader seek out conversations with your CEO or audit and risk committee representatives. Start the conversation so that you can learn. And and the book is full of questions that you can ask that will help you to, to increase your confidence. But Starting where you're doing business with your your organisation is a really great place to start around very specific threats that are impacting you as a business. More generically, I would say, everybody learns in different ways. So if you love podcasts, if you are a subscriber to newspapers, if you you join institutes around being a, a leader or being a director, look at those channels for information that will allow you to completely increase your, um, co- sorry, constantly increase your knowledge and just staying curious in the same way that you would stay curious about other new and emerging risks like climate change, like modern slavery. There's, there's so pandemics, <laughs> there's so much coming at us now as directors and as, as executives. We have to have more information than what gets presented to us in a board paper. So use your own knowledge about how you like to learn best for the more sort of generic information but seek it out with your um, security leader. They would love nothing more than to have a conversation with you about the risks and the threats that your organisation is up against. Their door is open, I guarantee it. Fantastic. Anna, what about you? I I think similar to what Claire said, I think it does come down to the different ways that you like to learn. Mm. Something that Claire just finished with is is interesting. I spoke last week at an event for CIO and talked about cyber and engaging with the board. And they're reluctant to reach out to the board and ask if they'd catch oh. up for a coffee. And I sort of think of both 
the board and, you know, the, the security leader or the IT leader both wanting to reach out and catch up, but, but it's not happening at the moment. So I agree with Claire that definitely welcome the opportunity for someone to show an interest and to gain a broader understanding around the work that they do day to day and the risks in the business. I think it's a really good idea. And I know when we talk to directors and they've done their skills matrix and they're looking at, you know, creating their little development plans and what have you, they love to organise through the chair and the CEO an hour with the clinical leader, Mm -hmm. an hour with, you know, the HR, but let's add an hour with whoever this role sits with. If they don't have a chief information officer, there'd be someone equivalent or someone they could talk to. I think that's a really great idea. Even part of induction would be definitely fantastic. If as a director you can't find someone in your organisation who's responsible for cyber, then that should be a red flag for you. There should be someone in your organisation and if it lands on the CEO as their responsibility, they have a lot of plate spinning. So, you know, you, you really want, no matter how big or small your business is, you really want somebody in the business. And if as a director you can't find them, then keep like dig, dig deeper <laughs> to find out, you know, who is managing cyber for your business. I think that's fantastic. Look, the, this is so interesting and now we have a lot more questions. So yeah. if I may, <laughs> I'm going to keep going. We've got a lovely generic question here, but I know on behalf of everybody that most people want to ask this and then I've got quite a lot more questions. So what is the most important thing that an organisation can put in place to actually start addressing their cybersecurity uh, and I'll start with you. <laughs> Terrific. There's a, there's a pattern. We've heard it a few times today. Um, and it really is having a person who has the accountability okay. for cyber within your organisation. Without that individual, it's hard to even, I think, have confidence that you even understand the current state, let alone really be focused on what needs to happen to keep the organisation safe. Great advice. And Claire? Is that- yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I support what Anna said. And, and through that person, that's how you can understand what your strategic direction should be. Because in many ways, a lot of organisations are firefighting when it comes to cyber. You know, they're, they're reacting, they're patching when a patch comes out, they're reacting to an incident that happens. It, you know, by having a leader there, you can become proactive. You can start to have conversations around strategically where should we be going. You can preempt the uh, cyber conversation and where it should be going. And by having that leader, you educate your um, employee community. And I know there's a couple of questions around. Or I saw a question on the list. Mm. How do you evaluate your cybersecurity culture? Understanding the, the cyber sentiment in your organisation and how people actually feel about cybersecurity in your business is incredibly important and the only way to evaluate that I believe is to ask people what they think then go through a process of trying to influence and, and enable those people to become more secure in their thinking and their actions and then ask them again so mm. have a have a, a town hall have a survey take action to try to influence the activities of people and then survey them again and and you know the only way to benchmark is to ask people how they feel it's the same with you know, you do the same thing with customers. It's the same with employee community. We need to survey them and ask them how much they know about cybersecurity and do they know that that no matter what technology we've got in place, someone in the business can still cause a huge cybersecurity incident. Mm. 
fantastic. That's great advice. I really, I really think that it's just it's something that we can just do so simply. So I love this one. I fear I don't know what I don't know. And that's probably the biggest thing. And that would be why so many people have come today. If my organisation puts out for tender for supply of IT infrastructure, how would the organisations be able, you know, how can they checklist this? So there's a lot of systems that organisations do use. You know how you were talking about third parties before? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do they check on their IT third party? And I'm happy to, to make a start on yes, that and then I'd add to that if you'd like to. Yeah, I think for for me, it's it's first of all that that understanding of all of the pieces of the puzzle, for lack of a better term, around the contributing factors to keeping the organisation safe. Mm. And for me, before you even go to market, it's really around what is your what are your procurement policies? What's the process to actually onboard a new provider? I get concerned when I feel when I hear about the autonomy that some leaders within an organisation have to onboard new providers and they don't go through a governance process. For me, that means that IT could be investing a lot of money in implementing a strategy to keep you safe, but you're actually opening up another hole and creating risk within the business by not having thorough procurement processes there. The other one for me, which is gets a lot of attention, is actually understanding where those partners actually store your information, so more around data sovereignty. And so for us, we're more committed and focused on having our data onshore within Australia. And I think you need to ask the same question through that procurement process of the providers that they, your, your prospective partners might use as well. Claire, do you want to add anything? Yeah, I mean, I think like it, it, the fear of the unknown is, is certainly a concern with cyber, you know, and as the question stated, you're not sure what you don't know. But to Anna's point, the procurement process is incredibly important and you can, in a tender, you can request those um, respondents to talk about their cybersecurity control. Yes. The challenge we've got with that is nobody wants to let out their top secret information. And, and I understand that. I've been a CISO out in the wild and, and I get that. But there are ways that you can have conversations around attestations that you can do business with companies who are, I'm going to use some acronyms, but ISO 27001 certified or they can attest to certain levels of maturity from a NIST perspective. Your, your listeners might have um, heard of NIST, or they have been SOC 2 certified. SOC 2 is actually not just do we have controls, but how effective are they? Mm-hmm. So there are lots of different types of um, assurance mechanisms that can be used through that tender process. And you can ask companies, please, when you respond, talk us through, do you have a dedicated cyber leader? Have you got any accreditations? The government does it when they ask for people to go for tender. So every organisation can do that. On the flip side of that, even when you choose a company that you want to partner with, in your contract, don't be afraid of having information security clauses that allow you to work with that third party should they get breached or should you get breached and you have an impact on them. You know, it's bre- These are things that are a two-way street. So, you know, I think procurement and tenders are one thing. But even once you're signing up your preferred supplier, how are you protecting yourself and how are they protecting themselves uh, in an ongoing relationship? That's, yeah, that's really helpful. I, I think of, you know, just simple things like where do you keep your data that yeah. is clearly yep. produced by using your platform? Yeah. See, we talked, we, we talked before um, around how often cyber should be on the board agenda. 
Mm. I think this is a really great topic of we, when you have the executive presenting to the board that has accountability for procurement and yes. vendor management, direct the questions to that executive, not always the IT leader. I think it really helps you gain an understanding of the buying and commitment across the organisation to keeping that um, information safe. I think it's really good. And I also think people don't realise how our whole existence is around all the different platforms we're using. And nobody thinks, well, are they housed offshore? If America gets attacked, will that take our mm -hmm. data with them? You know, all that sort of stuff there. There are questions that what I'm thinking is that that's our responsibility to start asking those questions, to start going from don't know what we don't know to knowing what we don't know. In because, other words, becoming a little bit anxious about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't save all of your finance questions for the CFO. So, no, you know, no. you need to save your, your questions around privacy and security for when that particular CISO or CIO or when that leader is in front of you you can ask the marketing people those questions. You can ask the COO those questions or CFO. You can ask the CFO questions around cybersecurity. It's important that that, that becomes part of the, the vernacular and part of the comfortable conversation people are having. And people shouldn't be afraid to, to ask. But also, if the CFO doesn't know the answer, it's a great opportunity for them to go and have the, you know, build a relationship themselves with the CISO. Yeah, yeah. that's really true. There's some really other, there's some other really interesting questions as well. I mean, one is around do attacks come through email? What What is the most popular way that they come? And, and is this good stuff around to prevent that? So I'll start, Anna, and, and I'll... Thanks, Claire. Um, I'll leave for you to jump in in a, in a moment. But there's a lot of attacks that come via email more and more. And what I would say is that you can have all the technology in place and you should have all the technology in place. The technology such as in the, in the question they talk about antivirus and, you know, ways to protect your organisation, I, I absolutely recommend having that technology in place, allowing your organisation to catch that low-hanging fruit and to be fending off, you know, high, easily recognisable threats. Absolutely. Having said that, if somebody wants to target your organisation, they will find a way in. So there are two things that you need to be thinking about in relation to a targeted attack. One is educating your employee community. As Anna said, run phishing simulations. Teach them about what a phishing email looks like. Some mm -hmm. of the um, emails don't even have attachments anymore. Just by opening the email, it can cause a, a, a flow-on effect of malicious activity. Gosh. So, you know, it could it doesn't have to be a link or an attachment that you click on. Often it is, but they're getting smarter and smarter with these things. So how do we educate our employees that to be suspicious but not paranoid, I suppose, when it comes to those types of activities? They're just trying to get their job done, but you have to be have a heightened awareness around phishing because the, the statistic is high. It's something like 80% or higher than that of organisations that get hit, it's through that human inter intervention in an email. The second thing I would say is that because if someone wants to target you, you're going, they're going to find a way in, are you resilient to a cyber attack? And we talk about this in the book as well, is you can no longer have a zero tolerance because every organisation is um, at risk of cyber incident. How resilient are you? How quickly will you get back up and running? Will you will you end up with pen and paper because that's the only way is to shut everything down? 
or can you shut down sections of your network instead and people can still do their jobs? So educate your employees and have a resilience plan around cyber. It's the same as you would be resilient if you had a flood through your building. It's being resilient to say, can we keep operating in the face of a cyber attack? Have those conversations. Incredible. Annette, did you have any... Oh, the only the only thing I was going to add, Fee, was really around. We talk in the in the book around the understanding of this being an enterprise risk. I think that from a board perspective, that's the opportunity as well. Similar to what Claire's just touched on, is to really, as a board member, to understand the implications of a breach on your organisation and really test and challenge management on how prepared the organisation mm-hmm. is in the event of a breach. I think that's definitely an opportunity that we can all do better in, really being very clear about the roles that individuals would play during the breach, the information that you need access to, so more around the business continuity piece, any reporting that needs to take place, and who would manage internal and external communications as well. Mm, that, yeah. Who's the fastest runner? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that's really important. There's some more interesting questions, so I think we've got time to ask just a couple more because I think these are really interesting ones. This is about health records. Now, this is a very big topic. Now, I know a lot of people here today on this webinar aren't just from health, but nonetheless, a lot of the principles apply. And so people are asking about health records and how do we maintain the security? You know, how do we actually, if you're on a health board, talk about that and make sure that people's information, their confidential information about themselves is secure and on your watch, your patients feel safe. Are there any tips about that? Did you want to start, Anna? Oh, I will. I think, Fee, what we've talked about today is relevant across industry, mm. so it's not just um, the information and advice that we've given today is across all of the organisations that we work for. I I think that health is obviously front of mind because it's such sensitive and personal information and it's very easy for us to put ourselves in the shoes um, of individuals if there was a breach that would hit home for all of us. I think it's being even more mindful and cognisant of challenging and questioning and understanding and making sure that we understand what information is sensitive and in this case, it's obvious it's the, it's the health record. Where are those records stored? Who has access to them, both within the organisation and outside the organisation? And for me, really focusing on that education piece within the organisation to, to make sure that employees understand the critical role that they play in keeping that information safe. I'd, I'd just add to that too, that especially when it, I think all data is important, particularly mm. sensitive data. And I think patient data is, that, is more valuable to protect than money because patient data comes down to people's safety. Patient mm. data often has medical information. It could have location information about somebody, um, a lot of history about them, contact details. And I was going to add, but Anna's already said it, around who has access to that information. Mm. That is such a key part of how we protect people is is a term, I guess, that we use, which is sort of minimum privilege, least privilege. Reduce, reduce, reduce the amount of people who have access to information. And I know in a hospital, for example, or in a a medical office, it's difficult to reduce the amount of people that have access to that data because we're trying to treat somebody's health. But having an audit log of who's had access, educating those people around the sensitivity of that information and that it is more sensitive than if you had access to the, the bank accounts. You know, it's 
that's only money, but this is people's safety. You know, cyber is seems so intangible to people, but it's actually very, it comes right back down to, to health and well-being in, in many cases, no matter what the industry. Yeah. I would agree. That is terrific. And look, there's quite a few questions about your book. So let's talk about that. I, I really would love to talk about that. People asking how do they get it? People asking are there templates in it? So let's talk a little bit about your book and a little bit about what you do. How, you know, how are you available to help people? Because I know that they're just based on the questions today and the interaction today, there's a real appetite. I think we all need to go from don't know what we don't know to knowing what we don't know with you too. <laughs> how, how can you help us? <laughs> Go yeah, for it. I'll start with you. Oh, me. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, so there's a couple of there's a couple of things about the book. So for starters, the book um, is written in business language. So don't be afraid of the book. It's it's very um, accessible read. It's about a hundred pages. There's it's not War and Peace. It's really an introduction for directors and aspiring directors, and chairs and committee members people who have an interest, but also people who have the responsibility. So I think that would be the first thing I'd say is that the book is absolutely accessible. There's nothing technical in it. Anna and I worked really hard on the language to make sure that it um, lands well with, with directors. And we did a lot of research to make sure we were writing the right book and answering the right question as well. So the book has lots of questions. At the end of every section, there's a list of reflections for the director or, or the reader on their own level of knowledge, but also questions they can ask in a boardroom setting um, or in a one-on-one setting with their security leader to help them build their confidence. We haven't included templates in the book other than the questions that we've we've supplied. And, and the answer to the template question from Catherine, it really, de- it's so dependent on your organisation, it really is. This is not really a templated area, I suppose. Yes, if it comes to writing an IT security policy, there are templates you can look at for that. But understanding architecture and risks, it really comes down to your individual network and, and organisation. The book, I think, Ashley, popped up where you can buy the book through yes. and my website. Mm. There's also some information on the website about what we do. So off the back of the book, Anna and I have got some services where we can come and speak to boards for a short period of time, about an hour, and talk through the principles of the book and, and do a Q&A session. We can also do more regular, so five or six sessions with boards around the different topics. And we also do one-on-one advisory with directors who might want something a little bit more bespoke and a little bit more um, specific advice around particular cyber topics. So I guess together we bring our knowledge together. Anna is obviously on boards. I'm on an advisory committee, but also have worked in cyber for a long time. So between the two of us, we can bring very different things to the conversation. And then if you if your organisation doesn't have a cyber leader, that's also something that I can help organisations with. Anna, did you want to add to that? The only two things I was going to add is that Claire and I are very passionate around, I suppose, working at a board level, at a chief executive level, the executive team, and through the IT leaders. And we do understand that sometimes you do have IT leaders that come to the board and still talk quite technical. So we actually do coaching with IT leaders as well to really help, I suppose, close that gap around the lingo and the jargon. But the other thing I wanted to mention was that you are welcome to contact Claire and I through our website if you'd like any bulk orders for the book. We have yeah. we are having a lot of requests um, for copies of the book for entire boards and audit and risk committees, or if you have a technology committee. And so you're welcome to contact us directly for those rather than going through uh, Amazon or Booktopia. Yeah. Yes, that's a good point. Thank you. No, that is very helpful. And Anna, my favourite story that you told me just recently is 
you got a lovely report at the boardroom table and you said, this is a fantastic cyber report. And the person who gave it to you said, yes, I followed the chapters in the book yeah. <laughs> to give you your report. So isn't that yeah. fantastic? Yeah, I've, that was brilliant, I, Faye. I've seen the book and I have to tell you, everybody, it's it's something that I'm passionate about. It's about making what we regard as unaccessible, difficult to understand topics really simple. And I think, Anna, Claire, I just want to thank you both so much today. I can see that everyone has really enjoyed our discussion today. And you have. You've made this so simple. I mean, everybody from our talk today can go back and the first thing that everyone should do is actually have the discussion. Yeah. So they should actually say on our agenda, even if they put it under strategic insight or under risk or whatever, let's talk about this and let's see if we can make sense of it. And it sounds to me like it doesn't matter if you don't have that designated cyber person because by the end of the conversation, you will. <laughs> yes, hopefully. <laughs> it's a really, really good idea. And the fact that you've got this fantastic, and it is everybody, easy to read book, and the fact that you two provide services to people, you know, you can actually come to their board, you can actually educate them, and then you can actually help them if they wish, put a strategy or a plan together. That is bold because that is going to really be a game changer for a lot of people. I just want to thank you both so much for coming today. And it has been so much fun meeting you both. And I can't believe it, but you've actually made this subject quite fun and really interesting. <laughs> and that means it's going to roll. It's going to roll really well. So, Claire and Anna, thank you. Thank you for making cyber a really interesting discussion. And thank you from all of us at the Government's Evaluator to all of our guests today. And we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks, everyone, for coming along. Thanks, Thank Faye. you. Thanks, Faye. Thanks. Pleasure.